But people don't know what happened between Dr. King's death to the present moment, right? So they're assuming that the Voting Rights Act was enough. They're assuming that integrating schools was enough. But even Dr. King was saying before he died that it wasn't enough. (laughs) But they don't know that. And so people who say these things about history, I find oftentimes don't really know very much about that history. Welcome to part two of our Racism in America series here on the Altitude Collective. In this episode, the conversation continues. Andre Henry, former managing editor of Relevant Magazine and activist, takes us through a history of racism. He talks about black codes and subtle racism. Sarah Castelline, a missionary, walks us through being brave and having conversations centered around racism and how to try to get to reconciliation. This episode dives even deeper than the last. I want you to know it's heavy stuff, but I want to encourage you that as you journey through these episodes, I believe you are elevating your cognitive response to racism and you are broadening your scope of the problems we continue to face as a people. And because of that, you can help drive us toward being more empathetic and towards solutions. So let's jump back in. What would you say then to those who would, um, you know, and, and this is somewhat cliche, but I, I want to get your take on it. Mm-hmm. Um, two statements that I often hear. And in fact, I heard one today in local news here in Tampa Bay. Um, one is um, there was a study that that had come out uh, earlier yesterday. It came out yesterday where there's a push now to kind of erase certain histories from um, history textbooks uh, in, in public schools. And so these anchors were having this debate on um, whether that should happen or not. And I remember um, one of one of the anchors actually saying, um, why why are we always in an effort um, to erase our history. Mm-hmm. I want to get your take on that. And then the other statement that I, I hear very often is um, slavery, racism was in the past. Why right. are we why are we constantly rehashing it? Right. Okay, well, let's talk about the past. Let's talk about history, right? Yeah. Next week we're gonna celebrate July 4th. Mm-hmm. Independence Day, right? No one has that attitude about celebrating the American Revolution. Right? right? <laughs> no one's like, well, why can't we just get over it? <laughs> right. And and why? Because I mean, that would be absurd. That would be absurd. Exactly. We know it will be absurd, right? And we know yeah. that it would be absurd because we understand that if that event had not happened, we would not be barbecuing and yeah. and watching fireworks this day, right? Sure. We understand yeah. Yeah. that this event in the past, in the history, in our history, has created the opportunity for this moment, right? And we understand that we are building off of that foundation. That what happened in this country on July fourth, seventeen seventy four, seventeen seventy six, whenever it was, you know, mm-hmm. is the foundation upon which we are now having this celebration 
Mm-hmm. We don't we don't treat Thanksgiving that way. We don't treat Christmas <laughs> that way. We don't say, oh, yeah, sure. Jesus was born. But I mean, come on, guys. So many yeah. other babies were born since December 25th. Actually, he wasn't right. born tw- December 25th. But that's right. when we that's when we celebrate it. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. we understand that the present has been brought to us by the past. The past is prologue to this moment. Okay, so someone might say to that, well, why are we remembering the negative things? Why can't we just focus on the positive things? Well, in the same way that these wonderful, beautiful things that we celebrate are built on that foundation, so are many of the injustices in our society are built on some pre-existing foundation. And in order to really understand that injustice in the present, we have to understand where it came from. We have to understand its genealogy. Right. So the past has shaped this moment. If if my ancestors were not brought from Africa and dropped off in Jamaica, then I might be living in Africa right now. I might have a different name. I, I might be known for something else. You know, if if the transatlantic slave trade had never happened, we would have a completely different version of history. Right. OK, well, you might have someone who says, well, isn't it a good thing that you're not running around in Africa in a loincloth, you know, and and all that kind of thing? Well, uh, first off, racist. <laughs> because there, because who says that? Who says that? First off, people in Africa are running around in loincloths, right? Like that's that's the idea that Africa is somehow uncivilized is a racist mm. idea. Um, mm. And secondly, the the idea that even if people were running around Africa in a, in a loincloths would be somehow uncivilized is a racist idea because it somehow mm. says that the fact that you guys wear button down white shirts and long pants in the middle of the summer and wigs and makeup and all the kind of stuff is somehow better or higher class than these people who dress appropriately for their climate, right? Mm. So you're already you're in there. But anyway, <laughs> all that to say, I, I know I went on a tangent, but no, all it. that all that to say that history matters because history is what this present moment is made out of. Right? That is, that is how we got here. Yeah, yeah. No one ever, no one says, okay, I'm going to leave my house. I'm going to drive to the grocery store and I'm just going to forget about the way that I came here. <laughs> you, know? like, you, you keep track of the path that you take to where you go because, you know, it's important. So that's one thing about that. The second thing, the second reason why we can't just forget about this is because people who say that they don't really know what happened in history. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't oh, have wow. a, yeah. they don't have, you, you ever notice that people who say that kind of thing don't even really have a grasp of the things that happened. Okay. So Miko, do you know just off, offhand what year the Emancipation Proclamation was, um, was signed? Not offhand. No. Okay. 1863. Mm-hmm. Do you know when the last slaves finally got the news of the Emancipation Proclamation? 1865. So you have two years. Two years, yeah. You already have two years where, okay, slavery has, it's it's over, like it's been announced that it's over, but people are still slaves. Okay, well, it just took a while for the news to spread. But But do you know that between 
1865 and around 1877, we have this period that we call Reconstruction after the Civil War. And there's rebuilding and some black people are even elected to office and all that kind of thing. But even before that time, there were already these things called black codes that were starting to emerge. And black codes basically made unemployment illegal, right? Okay. So you you couldn't be unemployed. But at the same time, black people were forbidden by law to own land, to start businesses, to conduct commerce among themselves right? Right. in many of these black codes. So you tell me what you're going to do. You are forbidden by law to be without a job, but you cannot start your own business Mm. and you can't own any land. Mm. What are you going to do? Where are you going to get a job? Right. You you have to find a job because if you don't, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be put in prison. So you you have you have an incentive to find a job, right? right. Where are you going to find a job? You're going to find a job on a plantation, right? And what are you going to do on that plantation? You're going to pick cotton. What were you doing before 1865? You were picking mm-hmm. cotton, right? Now you're picking cotton again. And guess right. what? If you choose not to pick cotton. And you don't find a job, you're going to get put in prison. And guess what happens when you get put in prison? These wealthy planters were allowed to lease people from prison to do what? Pick cotton. Right. This is why those pe- the people who lived through that era were calling this slavery by another name, because that's exactly what it was. Yeah. So these... Okay, so you go from black codes... Um, you have Reconstruction, where there's some there's some time of black freedom, or, or at least you know black empowerment. But <laughs> um, as the because for economic reasons and for political reasons, people who want a more political power and all the, uh, it's a lot to explain. Um, you know that's why people who are curious about this can look up Google, look it up on Google. Um, <laughs> these things Reconstruction ends kind of abruptly right there's a deal that's brokered uh, so that one party can get their candidate into office for the presidency and the deal was that they would that the union would withdraw their forces from the south so that the south could do what they wanted to do which was keep on uh, was keep a cheap or free black labor force to support white industry that's what they wanted to do so um, so now you have this kind of, you have this racist progress that continues, um, to keep black people basically doing the same kind of thing that they were doing before, but under a different name. And that evolves into Jim Crow, right? And that's when you see eventually the civil rights movement, uh, emerges to challenge the Jim Crow system. And people also don't know. We know that in the civil rights movement, we fought for the the right to vote and we got it. We fought to to integrate schools and we got that. What we don't realize is that before we won the right to vote and during the civil rights movement, we already had the legal right to vote. (laughs) The, The problem was that there were racist white people that were trying to suppress us from voting. Right. And so 
these people that say that all that stuff is in the past don't even understand how that history works and how it has evolved, you know? So we can't even really have that conversation about, well, let's just forget about the past. That means that those people don't even want to know what's going, what happened and what's going on. Because if they did have a, a grasp on history, then they would know that, no, these things didn't just simply end. You know, I say to people all the time, what do you think happened to Dr. King? Do you think that he preached that I have a dream sermon? That I, do you think that he preached that I have a dream speech and then ascended into heaven? <laughs> you know, that man was shot. He was, right. Right. Got shot. He was shot through the neck because... Because he was still fighting for equality to the very day that he died. Mm, well after the speech. Right. Yeah. You know, well after the schools were into were well after the schools were commanded to integrate. Right. Well after uh, vote, the Voting Rights Act, he was still advocating for racial justice because whatever he was pursuing still had not happened. And he died without seeing it happen. Mm-hmm. In fact, when he just before he passed, not passed, just before he was assassinated, he said that he realized that the civil rights movement needed to evolve into the next phase, right. which was a human rights movement. Right. right? And that we need to take on the the evils of racism, militarism, and poverty. Right? But people don't know what happened between Dr. King's death to the present moment. Right? So they're assuming that the Voting Rights Act was enough. They're assuming that integrating schools was enough. Mm-hmm. But even Dr. King was saying before he died that it was enough. <laughs> right. But they don't know that. And so people who say these things about history, I find oftentimes don't really know very much about that history. Right. This is so good, man. I mean, I'm just like, (laughs) it's just so good. There's a, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Brian, Brian Stevenson. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, he, um, I, I think his book is, uh, just, just mercy. Just mercy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, recently I heard a talk by him and, um, he said these two statements and they have really kind of rocked me a little bit. And I just want to kind of get your take on it. Uh-huh. He said, um, here in America, we are a post genocide nation, but we uh-huh. have not owned up to it. Right. And he goes on and he says the true evil of American slavery was the creation of the narrative that someone of color made someone being of color is um, what makes them less of a human. Yeah. And, and, and kind of a little bit of context um, to those statements, basically what he was getting at um, was um, he, he was really speaking to this idea that um we have not seen genocide as a nation um, here on our land. You know, we look at other countries and, you know, where where they've had this before, but we don't recognize in ourselves that, no, there was a genocide here, you know? And um, so I want to kind of get your take on, on those statements. Yeah, people, 
a lot of people don't want to think about the fact that our country was founded through these very large uh, crimes of racial violence. You know, uh, what the colonizers did to the natives that lived here in cheating them out of their land, massacring them, that, that is a huge genocide. And and America's participation in the slave trade and the institution of chattel slavery in the States. And those are founding, those, those are crimes at the foundation, right? Mm-hmm. And like we talked about before, we build upon those events mm-hmm. to create the present, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we hadn't done that, then our nation would look very different, right? Than it does right now. Yeah. And so we don't really want to talk about that very much. And the fact, the fact that we, the fact that we don't means that we can never really face what it might mean to be a just society for those people, you know? You know, we we can't really broach the question of what does justice look like for indigenous people here? Mm -hmm. What does justice look like for the descendants of the enslaved within our borders? We just want to say, okay, well, I mean, that's not happening now. (laughs) Right. You know, but that's not the same as saying never again. It's not the same as saying we will never be that nation again. Mm. Um, and and because of that, I mean, sorry, excuse me. Because we won't deal with that history, I think that that is part of why there's so much cognitive dissonance. Yes. Around the way that around around human rights issues in our country. Yeah. Because the way that many Americans think about our country is that America is the land of freedom. That we are the leader in the world when it comes to human rights and democracy and freedom. And we don't think about the fact that no no not really. Mm-hmm. Um not when it comes to not when it comes to looking at our our history which is still playing out you know like when someone yeah. says that i have a history of doing such and such it doesn't mean that i only used to do things in the past it means that i tend to do this you know right yeah and so like when we look at what's happening at our southern border people say things like well you can't enter our country illegally no, it's against the law. Uh, those of us who have a strong grasp on history from the perspective of the marginalized understand that at one understand that the law doesn't come down to us from heaven. You know? mm. People create laws 
because they want their society to look and work a certain way. That's why there were laws that made it illegal for black people to own land and to have jobs. You know, I mean, to make, make it make it make it illegal for black people to start businesses and to own land. God didn't give them those laws. Those are those are rules that people made up because they wanted to keep black people disenfranchised. Right. So we look at this and we see. So when we talk about the law, we talk about what crime is, you know, a lot of people are not able to look at the law and look at crime in that way because of this narrative of America as this God show as this, sorry, they look at America as this holy entity that God has chosen that has only brought good into the world. Mm-hmm. Which is why we do have to keep track of what we tend to do. And if we look at what we tend to do, then we see that what we now call Texas used to be Mexico. Yeah, right. And we know that yeah, there's there is some debate about the <laughs> about the ethics about how we acquired that land. Yeah. To put it <laughs> incredibly mildly, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So we push people off of that land saying that God destined us to have it. And then we make up a rule. We make up laws eventually, not right, not right away, but eventually we make up laws saying, you know, now nobody can cross this line into our territory, the territory that we, that we force people off of, you know, this is our territory now. Um, People are not able, many Americans are not able for some reason to think about that in a high, from a higher level, to think of it from outside of the box of that nationalistic narrative that they've been given from pr- probably an early age to say, yes, I love my country. I love America. I love many things about being in this country. But what we are doing to these human beings and what we have tended to do to black and brown human beings, non-white human beings, is wrong. Um, we want to be post all of that. You know, we want to mm-hmm. not look at all of those things. Mm-hmm. And because we want to be post all of these things and not look at how those things are manifesting in the present, it makes us vulnerable to keep committing those sins. You know, I always say that, you know, the sin you're most vulnerable to is the one that you are convinced that you would never ever do Mm. because you're not watching. You're not watching out to make sure that you don't do it. You're just giving yourself the benefit of the doubt. You're taking it for granted, you know? So right. if, If America doesn't believe that it can be racist, then America is vulnerable to being racist. Um, Wow. Which is what we're seeing at the, right. at the at the border. We are what we're seeing at the border is an instance of racism. You know, it's not just black and white. Um, yeah. What was the other statement that that you mentioned, yeah. Stevenson? He said, "Let's see here." The true evil of American slavery um, 
was the creation of the narrative that someone yeah. of color is made less human. Yeah. 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 You know, ideas do not die easily. You know, someone, uh, I can't remember his name, but he wrote a medium post about where we get the idea of cuss words, swear words. I don't know, you know, uh-huh. and he talked about the history of this and it's like, you know, uh, these these one these these guys in England, you know they they made these guys in England maligned these French words, and to this day we believe that those words are inherently bad. <laughs> right? You know, like um, it's just that ideas just don't die easily. I mean, even even today there are people still arguing about whether or not the Earth is flat or round. Because ideas do not die easily; they are resilient. And these ideas about who about who is a human and who is a real human being, who really who really carries the image of God, that idea is still with us in many different ways. And we don't always even realize that we hold our ideas until we say or do something. <laughs> that yeah. exposes what we believe and think, you know? And mm. so, I mean, when we look at this, and again, I mean, this is why understanding the story and context of our history is so important that, you know, right now, you know, a, a young black man gets shot by the police and someone says, well, I mean his pants were sagging, you know, why is he, why is he going around showing off his underwear? You know, I tell you what, I have actually encountered those kinds of comments, um, in my, in my line of work in Christian media, you know, Oh wow! no one in my office is talking like that, but I get com- but we get comments sometimes. And one time somebody posted a picture of these black and brown students or young people with their pants sagging and said the it's a the black community has a culture problem not a systemic problem and that idea is old it's not yeah. original yeah it goes back it goes way back to before black people were wearing jeans to sag it's the idea that black and brown people are savages. Mm. That's the same thing that colonizers said when they came to new territories and saw people that didn't dress like them. They said, well, they don't dress according to the standard that in our culture is appropriate and cultured therefore they are not cultured and inappropriate and uncivilized and therefore we are justified in the violence that we will do against them wow and so we still have those ideas today when we say things like that like we'll look at the way that these young people dress yeah well you know what you may not like the fact that that these guys sag their pants but that doesn't mean that they deserve violence 
That right. doesn't mean that they deserve to be assaulted. It doesn't mean that they deserve to lose their lives. So, and wow. that's just one example, but we see yeah. in so many different ways. I mean, this, you know, I saw a video of our president um, today where he read the lyrics to some song about a snake. Did you see this video? No, I didn't. Well, he's reading the lyrics to this song about a snake. And apparently this this woman in the song sees a snake who's, you know, been, he's, the snake is sick somehow. He's been out in the cold and he's, he's hurting. I don't understand. I don't, I, something's wrong with the snake. And the snake begs the woman to take him in. And so she does, and she cares for the snake and nurses the snake back to health. And the snake bites her. And she says, how could you? I took care of you. And the snake says, you knew I was a snake the moment you picked me up, right? Mm. And he's using this as an example of what we're doing or what some people are saying that we should do in letting immigrants and refugees into our country, that we are letting in dangerous people, right? That's an old idea. It is just, yeah. it's a very old idea. It says, it's as old as the ancient world. It's the same lie that Pharaoh told the ancient Egyptians in the book of Exodus, why they should enslave the Israelites. Because they're multiplying and they're going to take over our country. And if, if some foreign nation wants to take us over, they're going to join them and they're going to take us over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're going to ruin Egyptian society. That's what that man said in that, in that story. Yeah. So I, I say all that to say that, you know, Yes, these ideas do not die easily. And to this day, people, a lot of people do believe in this narrative of racial difference, as Brian Stevenson often says, that narrative of racial difference right. is still with us. Right. And a lot of people say, well, I don't see color or, you know, we're all the same and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, when you really get into this conversation, though, they say things that contradict that, you know, and, you know, you've got a lot of you've got a lot of white people that have a lot of suggestions about how they would, quote unquote, fix the black community and all this other kind of stuff. And you can't have both. You can't Mm -hmm. both not see color and think that, you know, what's wrong Mm -hmm. with black people. Yeah. Actually, you can't think that you can't say that you don't see color and still think that there is something endemically wrong with black people. Yeah. Um, which is why I appreciate someone like Ibram X. Kendi's book, Stamp from the Beginning, because he says, you know, the only thing wrong with black people is that we think that there's something wrong with black people. Mm hmm. And the only thing exceptional about white people is the fact that they think there's something exceptional about white people. Powerful. And so, you know, that, that is a huge challenge, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a different way to look at racist ideas, you know, in Kendi's book, because he's talking about any idea that suggests that there is something inherently wrong with black people is a racist idea. And we have not overcome that in our society. I mean, that's the way that Trump, sorry, that's the way that President Trump talks about Chicago. Uh, That's the way that some black people even talk about their own communities. (laughs) 
Um, do you th- do you ever feel you know when we're in conversation or maybe you're in one of these kind of uh, race reconciliation conversations with friends or you know people at church and things like that? Um, do you tend do you take on kind of the burden of I'm I'm sorry we did this to you and um, if you do where do you think that comes from if you don't what helps you to not take that on hmm, that's a really good question um, I feel like nowadays I tend to take on that burden of. I'm sorry that we did this to you. Um, Honestly, I feel like that is just a little bit of the heart of reconciliation. You know, even if I personally am not the one who said that, um, there is still a person that experienced pain. They're probably not ever going to get an apology from the person that um, actually caused that pain. And so if I can alleviate your pain by saying, I'm sorry, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it. Um, you know, we were in a conversation not too long ago, my husband and I, and, um, somebody was asking, well, why should I, why should I apologize for slavery or why should I apologize for something that I never did or, you know, whatever. And, Um, my husband was like, well, I mean, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but he was without sin. So I think I can say I'm sorry for something, even if I'm not the one who actually did it, because, you know, that's part of what being selfless and caring more about the other person is about, you know, if, if an apology is Mm -hmm. what somebody needs to actually start to heal, then I am not going to be so prideful to withhold that from them because the truth is I'm not innocent in all of this. I used to live in arrogance. I used to, um, you know, share things on social media or whatever that I shouldn't have. And so, yeah, um, I'm a part of the problem or I used to be. And so, you know, I, Mm. I will absolutely apologize if, if that's where the conversation is heading. Mm. So to clarify just a little bit, um, would it be fair to say, you know, if if you're unaware, if you're kind of living in this um, this unawareness <laughs> of the things that may be going on, you know, the, the ignorance maybe that you that you have, that is part of yes. that is part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And OK. And, and, so how how does one you know when you're when you're thinking of those that are with privilege or um, those that are white how do they get out of that how do they get out of this this kind of stuck place where they are seemingly unaware of the the privilege that they they do well, have I would first say look at your community you know do you only have white friends? Are you only going to a white church? You know, is there diversity in your own life? Um, if the answer is no, then you start there. Um, because you're, you're basically only surrounding yourself with people who look like you with people who more than likely hold your same opinions, your same, you know, life experiences. Um, but you know, if that's, if that's too scary, um, you know, for whatever reason, um, 
I would just say, start reading, you know, start reading, start listening to podcasts or, you know, even just turning on a different news channel than you would normally turn on. Um, start bringing diversity into your life that way. Um, you know, we could only be ignorant for so long in today's culture. You know, at this point with social media, the way that it is and just so commonplace, I think at this point, if you're going to say that you're ignorant, you're really just covering your eyes and your ears and refusing to listen or read or, Mm. you know, believe that there is a possibility that (laughs) people have other experiences that could be true. Um, You know, and so I would just say starting there. And, um, if you're a person of faith, I mean, just as simple as Lord, show me where I hold things in my heart or introduce people into my life that will reveal this or, you know, whatever he, God is for unity and he is for diversity. So if you pray a prayer like that, I promise you (laughs) he's going to answer it and probably pretty quick. (laughs) So, Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about how you engage in conversations with your black friends regarding race tensions and maybe the difference between that and how you engage with your white friends. So when it comes to my black friends, um, I honestly try to do a whole lot more listening than talking. Um, because I'm not the one experiencing Mm. racism. I'm not the one, you know, that carries that pain or that weight throughout my day. And so when, when things happen in, in the nation, you know, um, I try to just, I try to just listen or, you know, when, when they have an experience, I try to just listen. I want to know, I want to be able to enter into that space with them. And I'm not really going to be able to do it if I'm just running my mouth, you know? (laughs) Um, and so, um, Mm -hmm. I just want to be a safe space more than anything, um, for them to talk and vent and say whatever, and know that our friendship is still secure. Um, and you know, Mm. when it's appropriate, sure. I'll share my opinion or, um, talk about my own experience, but, um, largely I just try to listen when it comes to my white friends. Um, you know, that is still something that I have a really hard time with, to be honest. Um, I am a very non-confrontational person. Um, I'm a peacemaker at heart. And so I would rather, you know, just not enter into any kind of arguments or confrontation or whatever. Um, but I'm getting to a place where when a comment slips out or a joke is said, um, just why did you say that? You know, why did you just say what you just said? Or why do you think that was okay? Um, I think just simple questions like that, that makes the person stop and think about what just came out of their mouths um, is really where some of the, um, shedding the light (laughs) might occur on, on their own ignorance or racism or whatever. Um, and I just try to encourage, you know, when, when the conversations are happening, like, 
look, I get that you have this opinion or I get that you were raised this way. Like I was too. I was raised in a conservative community, very closed off, you know, Southern Baptists. All of my friends were white, literally. And so I understand where you might be coming from, but um, I just encourage them. There are other people in the world besides you. <laughs> there are other opinions besides yours. And um, I just try and really encourage them to, again, just start start small, start reading, start talking to people of different color mm-hmm. and finding out you know, information and start mm-hmm. just educating yourself and learning how to empathize. I can't stress that enough. Just learning how to empathize with people. Yeah. yeah. I love that so much. I love that so much. Do you think it, is it, is it terrifying yes. to enter into those conversations? <laughs> oh gosh. It is for me. I, I think I, um, I think I blow things way out of proportion. That's kind of part of just my personality. I'm so non-confrontational and if you're not okay, I'm okay. I'm not okay. You know, mentality. If someone is mad at me, it like destroys my whole universe until I've fixed it with that person. And so, um, entering into those conversations for me is just really, really scary because what if I'm putting the relationship at risk or, you know, what if I, what if this person has a really good argument for, whatever. And I haven't done enough education myself. And then I'm the idiot, you know, (laughs) Um, that's a big part of it too. Mm -hmm. um, Is I just, a lot of times still don't feel like I know enough. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, really just that I'm not one to just argue for the sake of arguing. I don't find any kind of life in that or, (laughs) you know, I don't enjoy that. So, um, yeah, the thought of entering into a conversation is like paralyzing for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so what's it like to enter into this conversation oh, with goodness. family? Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just as scary uh, with it being family over friends. You know, I know ultimately that family members, you know, our family, they can't leave you like a friend can. <laughs> um, they can't, you know, they still at least got to mm-hmm. see you at Thanksgiving. So, you know, <laughs> God tolerate me that way. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's still just yeah. really nerve wracking um, to try and enter into a conversation. And, you know, because it's, it's normally, um, you know, sporadic. Somebody says a comment at Thanksgiving dinner that is inappropriate. And so then, you know, it's like, well, do I call them out in front of everybody? Do I pull them aside later? (laughs) Then I'm going to have the entire family staring at me like, you know, and so a lot of it is just Mm -hmm. real spontaneous and in the moment, you know, catching things as they arise. And so trying to figure out, you know, what's the best way to do this? Because I mean, my, my purpose would not be to embarrass the person. Um, you know, that's not, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to 
help steer them in the right direction. I'm trying to, you know, shed light on Mm -hmm. things they might be holding in their heart. That's not godly. And so, yeah, that's, that's something that I'm still honestly really trying to figure out. Um, you know, within my own circle, my own close circle of community and friends and family, you know, what's going to work best, um, and what's not, because it's going to be different. You know, some people you can approach in different ways and others you can't approach in that way. And just trying to figure out like, how do I really start to put this in practice with my own community? Yeah. And I think the goal too is not proving a point or, or anything like that. It's, it's really gaining a perspective, being able right. to voice your perspective in a healthy, safe way. Um, but ultimately, you're working towards a reconciled relationship with those that are around you and those that you're fighting for. And I think if we can if we can keep that perspective, then we can be OK when things kind of go south, you know, um, you know, in a relationship, maybe we can be brave enough to say, Hey, maybe let's take a break. Um, or maybe, you know, let's come back to it later, or maybe even being brave enough to understand that the conversation with that person is not going to go anywhere for now. And so we just have to kind of back up and be okay with that. You know, um, you know, because ultimately we we cannot change people. Right. That's not that's not the goal. Uh, But we can advocate for other people. And if the advocation is not panning out the way that we would like it to, you know, we we can back up rather than destroying relationships um, through those through those conversations. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll say too, anytime we can feel ourselves getting angry, you know, and, and that kind of thing, there, there is, you know, righteous anger, but just recognizing that if you're getting angry at the person you're talking to, they're more than likely not going to receive you yeah. at that point, yeah. <laughs> you know, because now, now they're just going to lock in and be more defensive and, right. you know, match your level. So yeah. yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of discernment that has to take place in those conversations. The final and powerful conclusion to the series drops tomorrow. We will talk about personal encounters with racism. I will also talk about all of this from my perspective as a young black pastor. And we'll also talk about where we go from here. So be sure to share the Altitude Collective with your people and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review on iTunes. You doing so helps to get this podcast heard by so many others who otherwise wouldn't know it exists. Thank you so much for doing that. All right. Refresh your feeds in the AM for part three. We'll chat soon.